Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Just to note, this episode will contain spoilers. Welcome to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. I'm Colin Ellis. And I'm Nam Kiwanuka. Today, we're going to be talking about not one documentary, but five. I'm so hyped for this. Uh, all of these five are nominated for the Best Documentary Feature at this year's Academy Awards. And those documentaries are Time, Collective, My Octopus Teacher, Crip Camp, and The Mole Agent. We watched them all and we're going to get into what we like and don't like about them and which one we think will take home the gold. Just think of this as a cheat sheet for your Oscar pool. Is this how you want all those Oscar pools in the past in our uh, office, Colin? I only won once. <laughs> and I've given away my secrets as to how I've done that in previous episodes. Yeah, yeah, so sure, sure. If sure, you sure. want to go li- listen back to those <laughs> to figure out how I won that one time. <laughs> and I think the next guest is one of your secret uh, weapons, isn't she? Uh, uh, well, no. she could, she'll, <laughs> she'll tell you yourself. We, we brought up, we, yes, we do have a special guest. Her name is uh, Jane Jankovic. She's TVO's executive producer for documentaries. Jane, welcome back to On Docs for what's becoming an annual tradition. Thanks, Colin. I really love being here. We had a lot of fun last year and, and we've got some really great docs to talk about this year too. Definitely. So the way this worked is we each kind of picked one doc to talk about and dissect for the listener and then uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about uh, kind of our predictions and uh, who we think who we think should win as well. And um, Jane, you're actually going to start us off. So you're going to talk to us about which doc? I'm going to talk to you about the mole agent. <clears throat> I love this doc. I saw the pitch for this doc when it was still in pre-production back in 2017. And we expressed interest in trying to get it. But the big funders swooped in and uh, that was that we got left in the dust. But um, the story is about a woman who believes her mother is being abused in a nursing home where she lives, and she hires a private investigator to find out what's going on in the nursing home. The PI uh, puts an ad in the paper looking for an 80 to 90 year old man who's going to be planted in this nursing home and uh, report on the, of the abuses that are there. We witness a lot of, you know, very funny scenes. I think very funny scenes anyway, about the screening process, about who answers the <laughs> ad. Um, and then the PI settles on Sergio and he's our guy. He's like, I think he's 83 years old. He is planted in the nursing home as a new resident, but he's really there to spy and report on the abuses. There's also a really charming scene where he's being equipped with spyware, like camera glasses <laughs> and a camera pen. He's being taught to use a smartphone that he never really quite masters. Um, one review I read described the opening of the film as being like a Pink Panther movie, You know, it's a, which I think was a great way to describe it. It's very cheeky very untraditional outside the box and i can't imagine anyone who would start to watch this dog and not want to hang in to see what happens um, but despite the seriousness of the subject matter the film is really good at um, cloaking the story in humor and charm as sergio he tries to find and report on his mark which is a woman named sonia but along the way 
he, we get to know a bunch of other women in the nursing home. And there's 30 women and four men. And um, the men all appear to have, to have some sort of dementia. So, you know, Sergio attracts a lot of attention. Uh, but, you know, the humor, what I love about the humor in this is that it's kind. It's very kind. It's not mocking. It's not cheap. You know, it would have been so easy to get laughs with, uh, with the dementia patients in the, in the nursing home. But it never crosses that line. It's, um, it, more than anything, actually, the film is really bittersweet and very, very poignant. Um, as the film continues, we start to see the pathos. You know, we, there's the stories of romance. There's, there's a theft in the home which Sergio needs to investigate. Um, Sergio becomes like a psychotherapist for some of the residents there. And then the humor kind of gives way to um, like the, the gravity of the abuse that the residents are experiencing living in that nursing home. But it's not what most people, I think, will assume what the abuse is at the start of the film. So I know a lot of reviews have given away Sergio's final report about the abuses that he witnessed in the nursing home. And then you, as you watch the film, it probably does become pretty obvious as you watch, you know. Um, but if you haven't read any of the reviews, don't. Just let yourself, you know, follow the breadcrumbs and get to the end in the same way that Sergio does. And a lovely, lovely film. And you know, it's if even it's um it takes place in Chile, and it's all English subtitles. But please don't be intimidated by that. It is so easy to slip into this film and just sit back and enjoy the story. Um, yeah. So please do not be put off by English subtitles. Super, super easy. In fact, if you've never watched a film with English subtitles, <laughs> make this your first film <laughs> and you will be a convert. This is, I, that was really well said. And, uh, I'm just going to say right off the top, this was my favorite of the nominees. I love this film. I had really no idea what it was about. I went, I read the synopsis. I was kind of like, okay, guy in a nursing home, but I, I fell in love with it. I love Sergio so much. I think, you know, I, and I don't want to give too much away as well, but I think there was one scene that made me really, that really, really heartbreaking was this woman who is uh, waiting for her mom oh. to pick her up. And she's a, you know, she's obviously an elderly woman and obviously her mom would have passed away and the staff are pretending to be her mom on the phone. Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking to watch. And I think, you know, again, I don't want to say too much, but I think it's, it resonates right now, I think, because of the situation with long-term care homes oh, uh, during COVID. And, you know, we're, we're, I think, now being forced to really look at how we treat the elderly. But again, this movie has a lot of humor. That opening scene where they're interviewing all the, the candidates for this, for this job of uh, being a spy is just hilarious. And it's not what you would expect. It has everything. In, the doc has everything I, I want in a, in a film. It's just got a beautiful, compelling story and characters that really stay with you. Yeah. Please go and watch it find it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was, that was the wonderful mole agent. And now I'm going to talk a little bit about time. It is directed by Garrett Bradley and it follows this woman who's named uh, Sybil Fox Richardson. She's a uh, fighting for the release of her husband. Who's been serving a 60 year prison sentence for armed robbery. Judge's office. My name is Sybil Richardson, and uh, my family is awaiting on a ruling regarding my husband's matter. I was just wondering if you might have any information on, like, an update on it. No, we don't have anything. You have to just look this on Monday. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. This is Sybil Richardson again. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. No, we don't have anything. 
All righty. Thank you so much. My twins will be 18 next month. They have absolutely no idea what it means to have a father in their house, what fathers even do. And the movie's a, a bit of a mix of, uh, you know, archival footage like that Richard shot of herself uh, at home with her kids. It's mostly talking to her in front of a uh, camera, talking about her husband, how much she misses him. And then obviously the director is uh, following them, sort of an eye on the wall approach or fly on the wall approach. And a couple of things I really liked about the film is they chose a very charismatic subject. So Sybil's just this really articulate, very genuine in her love of her husband. And, uh, you know, she's been with him the 20 years that he's been locked up. She's, she's a, you know, a mix of motivational speaker and she's also a businesswoman and she's also a prison abolitionist, which the film sort of touches on, but doesn't really go too much in depth on sort of giving you a, a, a kind of a taste of what the prison abolition movement is like, but doesn't really go into the, to the details too much. The more interested in the family story. Um, I really like the cinematography of this film. Uh, it's all shot in black and white. It's beautiful. The, the score is really lovely. And again, I mentioned prison abolition before. I think this movie makes a good case for why prison sentences don't need to be nearly as long as they are. And, you know, the crime that Richardson has been uh, convicted of is armed robbery. No one was killed. Uh, I don't think anyone was hurt either. But he was sentenced to something like 60 years. And I just think for a crime that, you know, like that, obviously it's serious, but I don't think it needs to be that long. And I think the, the film also, you know, kind of does a good job of showing just the importance of having family when you're locked away. So obviously uh, uh, Rob is, is being uh, helped in his uh, case by his, his wife, you know, doing everything she can to basically get him out of jail. And her determination uh, and dedication to him is, is kind of, uh, is, is very remarkable considering the odds that are put against them just because of the bureaucracy that they sh- she has to go through just to even get a phone call with them. Uh, there's actually a really great scene where she's trying to talk to him on the phone and then the uh, prison's automated voice message comes on and says, thank you for your call. Your time is up or something like that. It was just, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to watch things like that. But so I, overall, I would say I, I enjoyed the film. I think I would have liked to have learned more about prison abolition. I, like I said, it's something that interests me, but uh, I think showing it from this family's point of view is uh, really um, an interesting way into it. Um, I watched a little bit of it and I, I was telling you and Jane how it kind of triggered me and I stopped watching it. Um, you mentioned that scene when uh, the phone call just kind of cuts off. Uh, and at one point in the documentary, she's, uh, you know, she's just been hung up on the phone by somebody. And she says how she has to be a certain way, um, even when people treat her and dismiss her, she has to be a certain way, like she always has to be um in control of how she feels and my heart just broke for her and uh I, I i stopped watching it but i did i loved what i saw yeah I, I, i'm interested to hear you say you were triggered by it so i, I was there something in particular i don't know if you're comfortable well, just saying, this idea but like... well i mean to get uh, in the personal in the past year my father has been in and out of jail um and he the the thought of him going uh, back especially uh, against the backdrop of um, COVID has been very stressful and uh, yeah so I I really want I, I maybe I can watch it in a few months but I did love the cinematography as well yeah yeah um, well, yeah, that, yes. yeah. Uh, I'll talk about what I um, what my pick was so my pick was uh, Crip Camp and 
On the surface, it's a documentary about a camp for children with disabilities, but underneath it is so much bigger than that. Uh, one camper describes it as a utopia for when they were there because there was no outside world. I wanted to be part of the world, but I didn't see anyone like me in it. I hear about a summer camp for the handicapped run by hippies. Somebody said you probably will smoke dope with the counselors, and I'm like, sign me up. Come to Camp Jeanette and find yourself. There I was. I was at Woodstock. You wouldn't be picked to be on the team back home, but at Jeanette, you had to go up the back. Even when we were that young, we helped empower each other. It was allowing us to recognize that the status quo is not what it needed to be. So question for either one of you. Did you go to summer camp? I think I did, yeah. I don't think I had a very good time, though. I don't know. How about you, Jane? No, I don't remember. I think I went to a camp once for a week, but it wasn't it wasn't part of um, the culture in the area where I, I was from to send your kids off to camp, you know? So, no, no, never been to camp. I went to one camp, and my granny sent me to a church camp, Huron Church Camp, and I remember uh, feeling really excited about going, but also really anxious. Well, uh, Crip Camp is about a camp. It's called Camp Jeanette, um, and it's so much bigger than just a camp. It was started by a man named Larry Allison in the 50s, and the camp closed um, in the late 70s. So the documentary uh, focuses on the class of 1971. Early on in the documentary, you see this twinkle scene um, in the Catskills, and a counselor says that they had never seen so many disabled people in one place and that he became frozen in fear. And then a uh, former camper says that it was a place where teenagers could be teenagers without any stereotypes. Uh, so immediately you kind of get those that juxtaposition of these two uh, different uh, thoughts, um, two different perspectives. Uh, so the campers talk about what life is like in the outside world, um, how one was denied going to school because of their disability, and that the principal of the school had described them as a fire hazard. The campers talk about how their parents treat them, um, how they're denied privacy. One of the campers, like, you know, it's a basic right. Uh, we're denied privacy because their parents um, have to help them do certain things. And then they also ask, you know, are parents being overprotective or is fear motivating how um, these uh, these kids are being treated by the people who love them? Because you would think that they're, they're going to do everything um, to benefit these kids, but in the process, they don't realize that they're actually hurting them. And then there's a, there's a, there's a lot of funny moments, but um, there is one moment when the campers are dealing with, um, I don't know how to say this, or they're, they're battling with um, crabs. Yes, <laughs> not, not the, not the, uh, the, the kind that you not find the in ones the sea. That, yeah, not, yeah, not the <laughs> ones you find at Red Lobster. But um, yeah, but it was just so, because it's just something you could hear, uh, you know, it was just such a normal thing, right? Um, but in the outside world, they would have just been um, excluded from having that teenage experience. So the documentary um, forces the audience to um, to actually look at how prejudiced we are to the disabled community, how uh, how the world has been set up to push and forget and to uh, dismiss people with disabilities from something like transit, how transit is designed for uh, able-bodied people. Um, and anyway, we find out 
so much more of the role that they played in history with the 504 sit-ins um, and uh, the role that they played with the Americans, uh, the ADA uh, law, the Americans with Disabilities Act. And I, can I just talk quickly about Judy? Um, yeah, Judy, she's kind of the leader of the, yeah, the disability she, rights movement. Yeah, and she was a camper. She was a counselor at the camp. And early on, um, there's a scene where she's telling the campers, we don't have uh, a cook for, I think, Wednesday. So let's figure out what we're going to eat. And <laughs> she's like, who wants lasagna? Who doesn't want lasagna? And some people like lasagna. Some people don't like lasagna. And then um, the interviewer asked her, why is that important to get um, a general consensus? And she said, it's important to let people know that their voices are being heard. And I just feel like she's such an exceptional leader. And as a society, we really need to um, challenge ourselves or we even think um, uh, what we consider to be a leader. We always think that it's, you know, uh, a man in a suit, very strong and very doesn't take no nonsense. And she is the opposite. And she was such an exceptional leader. Um, and I wish I would just love to have a documentary just on her. Um, but I really love the the documentary. It's Judy Human is her yeah. full name. I should just yeah. mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really liked it too. It's you know a very good overview of the disability rights movement and uh, some of the uh, internal issues they had. Um, I, I really like that it kind of showed just how important social movements were to pushing for change, like legislative change, because often I think people don't realize like just how you need those movements to get politicians to actually do anything. You know, put pressure on. Uh, presidents and secretaries of state or secretaries of labor or whatever to make those changes. So I, I thought it was really good at kind of exposing that and how just how hard that work is. And yeah, I, I really thought it was it was very well done. I, I liked it too. I, I thought it was a story. It's about a revolutionary camp for disabled people that actually led to a, re a revolution. You know, so it has a great amount of symmetry in that way and this camp was their woodstock you know like it was sex drugs and rock and roll <laughs> exactly <laughs> not how yeah. you think about how you know disabled people interact with each other whether you know a physical disability or a, a cognitive disability so um it's it's a real standout uh, not only for its historical significance um that you both have uh, mentioned but it also allowed us to see who disabled people are when they're not sidelined by society um, there's a great line, I can't remember who says it in there, there's a couple of good lines that stayed with me, you know, where one person says it gave, it, it allowed, gave us um, permission to dare to think what, that their lives could be better. And then there's another great line where somebody says, you know, you don't know what to strive for unless you, if you don't know it exists. And this camp gave them that window into our lives could be better. So let's, let's, you know, let's try and make that happen. So um, yeah, it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and then they get the what they were able to accomplish. Um, and talking of Judy, there's that one scene, or there's a couple of scenes with her in particular. But, um, you know, she talks about how I'm so tired of being grateful that you gave me a toilet. To have the toilet, yeah. yeah. I'm so yeah. tired of that, you know, like, why do I have to be grateful to be able to participate in the world? Can I just add one more thing too? When you said the great line, um, the, another line that stood out, stood out to me was, uh, "The world wants us dead. We live with that. You have to learn how to thrive, or you won't make it." Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think that just kind of stuck with me. And when you talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, Denise, who also oh. another um, camper that I loved. At one point, she has a stomach ache. Uh, she goes to the hospital. 
and they take out her appendix. Mm-hmm. They didn't check her for uh, having an STD. She actually ends up having gonorrhea, but they took out her appendix because the surgeon just assumed that someone that looked like her could not possibly be sexually active. I mean, talk about complete erasure. Her body was physically maimed when it didn't need to be because of somebody's uh, prejudice. Um, and so that just kind of stuck with me as well. And also her pride in getting gonorrhea, which I thought... Yes, I loved her. <laughs> she made out with the bus driver. <laughs> she was so proud yes. of it. She said, I don't want to die a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, she, I think she has a master's in sexuality too. She as did. As well. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, she was great. I loved Absolutely. her. And she cursed a lot in the documentary yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, excellent film. Good choice. I uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about... The last two nominees, uh, they're both very good films. One of them is called Collective. And this is a doc that's uh, from Romania. It's about this horrific fire at a nightclub that killed 27 people, injured 180. But then what happens next is even worse. 37 more people die from their injuries because of the inadequate medical care at the hospitals. And the film is basically tracing the investigation into just this inept bureaucracy and, and healthcare system, totally corrupt. The journalists that are doing this story are absolute heroes. There are plot twists along the way. There's a minister who's uh, appointed, who's kind of trying to reform the system from within. I would just say that if you're interested in, in investigative journalism, corruption stories, if you ever liked the movie Spotlight, or if you like you know, stuff about like Watergate, you got to check this movie out. It's just incredible, especially considering it's talking about the healthcare system as well. We have our own issues with that here. And I don't know about its Oscar chances, but it's a really, really strong movie. I just wanted to say that um, it was excellent. And I think we live in a world now where we're you know, when you work in journalism, you're swatting away misinformation, disinformation, and you, you're you dealing with a public that has grown to distrust the media. Um, and watching this, it just reinforced why I wanted to get into journalism. Um, and it's the, the, the things that they go against and how they push through that um, it just makes me want to work harder. I think investigative journalists are of a different, you know, uh, make because it's mostly something when you do, you do really important work and work that leads to laws being changed. Um, and now we just kind of live in a world where, uh, that work is being dismissed or people are being, you know, very, um, suspicious of journalists and uh yeah but this documentary reinforced my love for this field well said now I, I couldn't agree with you more and um just to reiterate uh, or build on what um what's been said already it this film truly falls into the category that if it wasn't true you'd be hard pressed to believe the depravity the situation that led to the layers of corruption that are infathomable and the cost of that corruption. Um, So between the journalists that do the investigation that uncover the fact that basically these hospitals were not using disinfectant, the disinfectant had been diluted to the point of not being effective at all. You might as well just run a scalpel under the, the, you know, the faucet, your water faucet. And uh, that was about it. They weren't always dying from the wounds from that fire. They died from the infections that they were catching in the hospitals. 
Um, so, you know, there's that investigation that leads to the resignation of the government and interim government comes in place, the new minister of health. What I love is that we're learning at the same time as everybody in the film, what the heck was going on. You know, there were so many WTF moments in that film and you're learning it in real time. So this, you know, health minister, some of my favorite scenes was really when he's trying to understand who's responsible. And it's like, you know, that whole Abbott and Costello routine, like who's on first. <laughs> and it's like it's my his favorite. own government team. It, it was, it was bizarre. It was just bizarre. And he's, he's in disbelief as a viewer. I'm thinking you've got to be kidding me. Like, and the bureaucrats think it's all normal, but it, you know, it's not. And then the re-election. So the, you know, the corrupt government had to resign interim government, new election. The old government party wants to get elected again because they were making a lot of money off this crap. And um, what happens is a very Trump-like election campaign ploy where the old governing party creates a fake health care crisis and blames the interim government for it. And then, despite everything that's happened and everything that's been uncovered, that old government gets reelected with an overwhelming majority. Like it, it makes you want to pull out your hair. It does. It <laughs> yeah. does. But it, you know, it, it's a really great doc to see like how that happens because it happens over and over again around the world, yeah. right? So. And Nam, and what you said about just the importance of investigative journalists, the journalists are actually given a, a round of applause mm -hmm. in this film from a, from an audience. I thought that was incredible because uh, I don't really see that happening over on this side of the world. But uh, that's for a whole other. Show. I'm going to talk a little, just a little bit about My Octopus Teacher. You know, we did an episode on this a few months back with uh, our former producer, Chantal Berganza, and I, I would refer people to go listen to that. I'll just say, you know, if you haven't heard of it, it's this uh, great doc on Netflix about a, a guy named Craig Foster. He's a filmmaker and his relationship with an octopus. And it's it's a really wonderful story. You know, he, uh, it, it's, it, it kind of... Uh, shows you just how intelligent octopus are octopi. Sorry. I never know <laughs> which one to say. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's just a very moving story. Again, listen to the episode. It's, uh, it's definitely available online. And I would say it's my, my love for it. Hasn't uh, it's, it's kind of dwindled a little bit in terms of my rankings, but we'll, I guess we can talk about our, our rankings in a second, just uh, of the films we've seen. But uh, I think it's, it's, it's got a, it's definitely got a chance. And maybe this will, this kind of brings us to our, our final chapter here where we're just going to chat a little bit about which film we think is going to actually win and maybe which film should win. So maybe Nam, I'll start with you. Which, which of these uh, five nominees do you think is going to win? Um, I can I, is it bad taste to uh, root for the one that I was advocating for? <laughs> no, it's not bad taste at all. That's what you're, that's what you're here for. <laughs> so I say uh, Crip Camp um, because I, um, you know, one of the themes in the documentary was this idea of uh, infantilizing disabled people. And this documentary does not do that. Um, it is raw. It is funny. Um, the role that they played in history, if you think about it, if um, they didn't become a collective and uh, march to Washington or uh, fight for demand for their rights, who who would have done it? You know, there's a scene in the documentary where uh, my kids watch this part with me, um, where they're pulling themselves on the steps. I think was this in Washington or they're going to some uh, government building? I think it's and in because, California. Yeah, San Francisco. Yes, and there's no, um, there's, there are no ramps. There's no access, so they're pulling themselves uh, on these steps, 
And my kids saw um, some small kids because there's little kids um, that are participating in the protest and they're pulling themselves up. They're pulling up their wheelchairs on these stairs. And that's how they came to have um, a law where companies, especially companies that were getting federal money, have to build ramps, have to make buildings accessible. And I mean, that's not a feel good uh, documentary. That is uh, power. That is his history in the making. And they didn't, um, they fought for it. I think the sit-in, the 504 sittings, they almost did that for almost 30 days. But at one point, one of the characters was talking, had got a job um, as an audio technician. And for two years in the building that he worked at, he it wasn't accessible for him to go into the, into the building. So he had to pull himself up on the stairs. Life continues and they have to find a way to live in a world that wasn't built for them. So I think that uh, the history in this documentary is Oscar worthy enough, but then to find out the backstory of how everybody met and they discovered that there were strength in number. Um, I just think it's wonderful and it is funny. What about you, Jane? Who do you think, who you think is going to win? Um, I think it's going to be between time and Crip Camp and I'm leaning towards time. Um, I think, and I think deservedly so. I, I think especially given the year that was and the, you know, the heightened awareness around racism and how it plays out in law enforcement and incarceration, I think that will still be um, the very forward in people's minds. And um, this is a very, um, uh, it's, it's a, it's a radical film without being radical, you know, and I think sure, it will yeah. appeal to a lot of voters. Um, but I have to say, you know, I've been reading that my octopus teacher has been picking up steam. They've been winning a lot of the big awards. Uh, it certainly has had the biggest audience of any uh, any doc on the list. And um, I know I personally, I mean, I, I loved the film and I learned a lot of things from the octopus teacher among them, Colin, it is octopuses, not octopi. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. See, I forgot all about that. There you go. Hashtag never stop learning. Yeah, never stop learning. <laughs> you were right. You're right. right. Did you want us to, to uh, put our personal favorites with it as well? Or are you going to get to that? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you who I think uh, is going to win. I think like we were talking about time earlier. Yeah, I think according to this one website, goldderby.com, it's uh, it's predicted to win the Oscar for Best Documentary Feature. I don't know how accurate that website is, but that's what it says. I do think that Octopus Teacher is picking up steam as well, though, so I would be very curious. It's going to be an interesting race. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, why don't you tell us who, who do you think should win? I have a, I just, I'm so in love with the, the mole agent. I, I hope that it will win. I don't think it will because foreign language films don't tend to win. Um, but, uh, it would be nice if it, if it, if it won. Very nice. What about you, Nam? Um, I think I've said all I have to say. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, um, I, I think I would, I mean, selfishly as a journalist, I think, uh, I would like the collective to win. But I really loved uh, Crip Camp. I think it's one of those documentaries that uh, leaves you thinking and leaves you smiling. So uh, I hope it wins. And it has Obama Foundation money in it, you know, so it's... Uh, yeah, I didn't right? know that. I didn't know yeah. that Judy was actually an advisor for yeah. President Obama as well. Last year, um, the... Um uh, uh, oh, what's that? American Factory was also an Obama Foundation film, and it won the Oscar. So that may play well or not, you know, in terms of people's thoughts. But Crip Camp's great. Jane, I'm like you. I think the mole agent. I, I think that I wish that would win. I, I I honestly haven't seen that many movies from last year, obviously because of COVID. And the ones I've seen, I haven't really been taken with. 
And I think honestly, that was the one that I really that stuck with me. I I, I watched Nomad Lad last Nomad Land last night, and I was not thrilled by it. And it's probably going to win Best Picture, but I don't think it's the best picture. I thought the Mole Agent was excellent. The docs docs are almost I don't think ever nominated in the Best Picture category, which is a shame because there's some amazing docs that uh, come out every year and they just never seem to be recognized by the Academy. So I hope that uh, the mole agent wins, but I don't think it will, but I'm, I'm hoping that people who listen to this conversation will be excited to go see it. Yeah. Well, Jane, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, so much fun to be here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks so much, Jane. It's been really fun to talk to you about all this. Yeah. Great. Good. I loved it. Love talking with you guys too. And that's the podcast. The 93rd Academy Awards will be on Sunday, April 25th at 8 PM. While you're here, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about us? It helps new listeners to find the show. You can follow me on Twitter at ColinLS81. And you can follow me at Namshine, all one word. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew O'Mara, senior producer Katie O'Connor, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell, and executive producer Laurie Few. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next screening. <laughs>